Today's scripture reading is from the book of Mark. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, and verses 32 through 42. That can all be found on pages 850 and 851 in your pew Bible. Or if you have the large print Bible like I do. It's on page 1011, verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Nothing during the, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And now verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what was what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord.
As our worship team is being uh, seated, any children that would like to join other children for a special time of worship together and Bible study, we invite you to meet uh, your friends and your teachers in the back of the sanctuary, and we will look forward to seeing you briefly here at the conclusion of our service. While you still have the Bibles and your phones in your hands, would you uh, turn over to our Old Testament passage for today? It is in Deuteronomy, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Pentateuch of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 15. I'm going to um, plant this word in your heart. We won't really have a chance to explore it together today, but um, some issues come up in our passage for today that are directly spoken to in this Old Testament passage, and, and I want you to have it in your back pocket as you continue to think and reflect on God's word for today. Um, Our Old Testament passage, again, is Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning at verse 1, and we're going to read to about verse 11. It's going to sound odd at first. Um, uh, Moses is recording God's commands, and he writes uh, these words, At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. In other words, just like at the end of every seven days, you cease your work and you rest in God. At the end of seven years, you have something called the sabbatical. And that sabbatical is where, not where you just simply rest, but where you release anyone who owes you anything of their debt. And this is the manner of the release, God says. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Or of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever is yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you. Isn't that interesting? But there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, if only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, And you shall lend to many nations, and you shall not borrow. You shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. And um, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend to him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. Isn't that interesting? And you say the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Does that sound familiar from our New Testament passage? There will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. The very word of God. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you that it never returns to you void without accomplishing its purpose. 
that it's a little overwhelming just in the brief passages we've looked at here. But would you, uh, God, just uh, open our hearts. Would you blow through them with the word of your spirit, God, and grant us everything we need to hear from you today. God, will give you the praise and the glory in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, what a privilege to be able to come to God's Word together. And I just invite you, whatever allows you to, um, to partake of it, whatever works for you, I invite you to do that. If you want to take notes, you are certainly welcome to do that. If you learn better just by listening, that's okay, too. But I'm just astounded as we have entered into this season of prayer. We've actually been in it, you remember, since since the beginning of January. In the month of January, we just dedicated ourselves to praying for our nuclear family. And then now in the month of February, we've dedicated ourselves to praying for our neighbors. We've joined a citywide movement called Awaken Evansville where we're praying for our neighbors. We're praying for our city, that God would be glorified in this place. And I, I rub shoulders with a lot of different people. Uh, yesterday, I was with a group from Gibson County who has joined us as well and, and is praying for, for Princeton and, and, and praying for the surrounding areas. I pray and trust and believe that God is meeting you as you risk praying in a deeper way for your neighbors. I have shared with you before, in my particular neighborhood, um, there are, are 12 people praying for our neighborhood, and seven different churches are represented in that. And, and because our neighborhood is pretty covered by these 12 people, then I've, I've taken it upon myself just to pray for the prayers. And it's been such a joy to be able to pray for brothers and sisters from all of the city, uh, churches all over the city, who are are trying to reach our neighborhood for Jesus Christ. And, and we've been talking together about prayer and trying to deepen our understanding of it because in prayer we have this amazing ability to boldly approach the throne of grace and, and to speak to God about the, the things that are on our hearts and to listen for His voice about the things that are on His heart. And, and together we... We um, studied the, the Lord's Prayer as he, as he invited us. Pray like this. But I don't know if you remember, when we began, we saw a very dangerous prayer. Do you remember it? We, we looked together to Psalm 139, that beautiful psalm about how precious we are in God's sight. And we saw at the end of it that David uh, entrusted to us a, an amazing prayer. Do you remember, search me, O God, he said, 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Do you see why it was a dangerous prayer? Try me, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See, God, if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in your way everlasting. And so many of you just courageously Pray that prayer. Many of you continue to pray that prayer. Well, today I want to suggest to you that we're, we're approaching another dangerous prayer. Next week, Chad is going to help us understand yet a third dangerous prayer. Today, we are going to join this, this amazing woman in, in praying to God. God, break me, would you? Break me of all my pride. 
Break me of all my self-sufficiency. Break me of anything, God, that I would put my trust in rather than you. And, and I'm praying that this, this amazing woman will lead us into a deeper understanding of the grace and the mercy of the living God as well. So let's return, can we, today to this amazing story. You, the, just to set the time now, um, we're a little bit ahead of our, our current calendar right here, but Jesus had already entered uh, Jerusalem, and he had uh, already turned over the tables. And you might remember that during that week before his crucifixion, in the evenings he would oftentimes return about two miles outside of town to Bethany, a little suburb of of uh, Jerusalem, where his dear friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, right? Now keep in mind that just a few weeks before, raising Lazarus from the dead had put the whole city of Jerusalem in turmoil. And, and the religious leaders, as well as the Romans of that time, were, were greatly afraid that that, that turmoil would, would just increase as people began to come to Jerusalem for, for the Passover celebration. Keep in mind that Passover was one of those three holy day seasons when, when uh, the people of God were required to come to Jerusalem. Uh, in particular, the men were required to come. And oftentimes they would bring their families and they would come from every part of the world to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover together, the great deliverance of the people of God from bondage in Egypt. And the city, which it's, it's hard to tell, but archaeologically it seems like at the time of Jesus, the city of uh, Jerusalem was about 60,000 people. About 60,000 people. And, and to put that in frame of reference, Evansville is about 130, Evansville proper, and maybe Evansville, greater Evansville is about 240,000 people. But that city of 60,000, as all these pilgrims came into it, would, would multiply twice, three times, four times, five times its normal size. During those three festivals of the year, it might grow from 60,000 people to, to 300,000 people. I just, we don't do festivals well. Just, just imagine the human logistics of having 300,000 people come in a town that was really built for, for 60,000. It was astounding. It was astounding. Was that me? Um, the, the, I just heard a voice. <laughs> I hope it was a phone. Uh, the, the logistics of it were just overwhelming. And I think that's part of the reason that, that Jesus hiked that two miles out to Bethany, went up over the Mount of Olives, to the far side of the Mount of Olives, to the city of Bethany, and, and oftentimes would stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But this is Holy Week now. Jesus has been teaching his disciples that they missed it the first, second time, even the third time he's teaching them again. The Son of Man has come so that he might give his life. He'll be crucified, and on the third day he'll rise again. But, but keep in mind, that um, I'm trying to think of a parallel in our culture. The, the celebration of Passover is almost like, like a, a state fair or something, Right? 
Um, yes, they were coming to worship, but, but the very lambs that they offered, then they, were, they partook of, they ate. And, and, and so they were offered to the Lord, but then the Lord gave them back and the families that offered them ate. So for some poorer families, that might be the only meat that they would eat the whole year in those three festivals. And so there was a kind of a festival atmosphere there, right? And, and, and yet underlying this festival atmosphere is this teaching of Jesus that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be handed over. And so Jesus is in Bethany, and Mark tells us that he's in the home of a leper. Isn't that interesting? Now, now very likely it was a leper who had been healed. It doesn't say that in the scripture, but the very fact that, that they were with this leper in the leper's house is a, a strong signal that this is someone who had, had leprosy and been healed. And, and his name was Simon. And as they reclined at table together... Mary, we're told by, now not Mark, but by John in his parallel account, Mary took a flask of pure nard, and, and, and usually they were sealed, and she broke the top off, and she poured that, that, that precious ointment on Jesus' head. Don't recommend this at lunchtime today, doing this, right? This astounding gesture. Now, now, why was it so astounding? Because, for one thing, the value of the nard right there in our passage, echoed again in two other Gospels, is the fact that this, this nard was, was worth 300 denarii. Do you recognize that word? Have you heard that word before? A denarii was, was, was um, a denarius was, was a day's wage. So 300 Denarii is almost a year's wages. Now think about your work life and, and think about a year's wage. Are you starting to get a sense of how precious? I just did it with minimum wage in Indiana, right? Minimum wage, and we're still over $20,000 worth of precious ointment. And in the home of Simon the leper, she pours on his head. And then anoints his feet with, right? What's well, interesting, in the beginning of our passage here today, we saw that the religious leaders of Jesus' day were up to here with him, and, and they wanted him killed. And, and they decided, in, in Mark 14, verses 1 and 2, they decided they're going to have Jesus put to death. And sandwiched between the, the rejection by the, by the religious leaders and, and the story that comes right after, we didn't read it, but the betrayal of, of Jesus by his own disciple, Jesus, is, is this reaction. What are you doing, Mary? What are you doing? This, this ointment could have been sold and, 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 and given to the poor, just for a frame of reference, when, when Jesus was inviting them to feed 5,000 people, right? They said, they said 200 denarii, right? Couldn't feed 5,000 people. Uh, now, now we're talking about even more. This, this, this ointment could have been sold and, and, and the money given to the poor. And, and, and Jesus stops them. He stops them and, and says, she is doing 
She has done a beautiful thing. I think last week we sang, He makes beautiful things out of the dust, right? She's done a beautiful thing. She's done a beautiful thing. Don't rebuke her, right? What was, what was this beautiful thing that Mary was doing? I want to suggest to you that she was, she was making a powerful statement, right? She was making a powerful statement. And, and if I could, I want, to, I want to just suggest that that, that statement was not only a statement about, about uh, uh, Jesus, but it was also a statement about her. She was making a statement about herself. What was that statement? I invite you to dig deep in this, in your own personal study this week. But I want to suggest to you that she was making a statement that she has been beautifully broken. And I, and I stuck that adjective on there from Jesus saying she's done a beautiful thing, right? Broken and contrite heart. David said, God will not despise. And Jesus did not despise this beautifully broken heart. How is she, how is she broken? How do I know that? How do I make so bold a statement? Clearly, clearly her reputation before other people didn't matter. It didn't matter. Is there anyone else like me who still stumbles over what other people think about me? Who still stumbles over what other people think about what I do, right? Here's a woman who waltzes into the house. There was Mary. She waltzes into Simon the leper's house and, and spends an outrageous sum of money right there. And, and, uh, and doesn't care what someone else thinks about it. It's interesting that the, Mark tells us that, that she wiped his feet with her hair. The only women who let their hair down in public in Jesus' day were sinners, were prostitutes, right? And she didn't care. She didn't care what people think about her letting her hair down. Right? And she, she washes Jesus' feet. She anointed his head, but then washes his feet, right? The only people who washed someone else's feet were slaves. Were slaves. Did anybody find themselves, as they were listening to this story, going, I've heard that story before, right? No, it could be because it's recorded in three of the four Gospels. And there's so many cues. It's exactly this event. There's so many cues matching Matthew, matching Mark, matching the Gospel of John. But there's a similar story in the Gospel of Luke. I want to say, I don't know why it's escaping me, Luke chapter 7. Now, Luke chapter 7, they're in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, not the end. They're in Capernaum, not in Bethany, right? And yet something Amazingly similar happens. Jesus is in the home now, not of a not of a leper, but of a Pharisee, of a religious leader, and and this woman barges in, right, and and breaks open a flask, right, of oil, and and in this case, uh, anoints his feet with tears, and and washes her feet, his feet with her hair, right. It's just amazingly similar, and it's so easy. And, and early on in my following Jesus, I said, oh, that must be the same thing, and they just got the location wrong, right? And the timing wrong. Well, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I am sure, actually. This is a different event. Now, keep in mind that whenever you came into um, 
someone's house in first century Israel, right? Whenever you came into someone's house, they, if they were able, they gave you uh, water to wash your feet. Oftentimes, they might have a servant in the house, and the servant would wash your feet, right? But they gave you that to refresh you. And in Capernaum, and in Luke, in, yeah, Luke chapter 7, then they, they didn't do that. The Pharisee didn't do that for Jesus. In, in, in uh, first century Jerusalem, if you came into someone's house, often, now keep in mind, they might shower twice a month, Maybe, right? So when they came into your house, if they were able, they anointed you with a little bit of perfume, right? Uh, so it was just kind of a way of blessing you and probably increasing the quality of the air and the, and the meal, right? Um, but Simon the Pharisee there didn't do that. And, and when Simon snorts, I love that word, it's a good biblical word, Simon snorts at Jesus in Luke chapter 7, because clearly he can't discern that this woman is a sinner, right? And he's letting a sinner touch him. Then, uh, then Jesus uh, tells him that beautiful story of a person who was forgiven great debt and another person who was forgiven a lesser debt. And, and in Luke chapter 7, Jesus asks Simon the Pharisee, who do you think loved loved more, the one who was forgiven more, or the one who was forgiven less? And Simon begrudgingly says, probably the one who was forgiven more. And Jesus affirms what the woman is doing. Jesus says, he or she who is forgiven much loves much. Right? That woman didn't count the cost because she had been forgiven much. Press pause. This is completely Dave now. Not, not scripture. Completely Dave. I don't know, but every time I see matching stories in scripture, there's a symmetry there, right? How is it that Jesus came to know Martha and Mary? Well, probably, some of his shivers going on my spine. Somewhere along the line, he encountered one of them and and ministered to them in a way that they never forgot. So that whenever Jesus came to Bethany, they went out of their way to invite him to stay there. Do you think that was Martha? I don't think so. Do you think that was Lazarus? Well, we saw later that he ministered to Lazarus. But I don't know who this woman was. But I would not be surprised at all. This woman in Luke 7 to get to heaven, some of you are way ahead of me, and to realize that was Martha, that was Mary also. And when Jesus delivered her from her bondage to sin, she never forgot. So that when Jesus came to eat, right, Martha was busy cooking food. Mary wasn't. I'm not going to waste time cooking food when I can sit at the feet of the Messiah. And now, on, on the eve, the double eve of when Jesus would be betrayed and, and crucified, do the disciples get what's going on? It doesn't seem like it. I'm thinking of the male disciples right here. It doesn't seem like it. Do the religious leaders understand what's going on? It doesn't seem like it. It, it doesn't seem like it. Does this woman... Understand what's going on? Yes. Yes, she does. She sacrifices everything 
to put Jesus in his proper place. She was beautifully forgiven, probably because she was faultlessly forgiven, right? She didn't care what anybody else thought about her, right? Because she'd been forgiven. And she was living into that forgiveness. And I just want to encourage you so much. So many of us carry the heavy burdens that God has already forgiven us into our everyday life. And it affects us. We may think that we're hiding it. We may think that we've, we've overcome it. But it affects us, right? In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. That's why he came. And I, I just want to encourage you to experience that. And, and, and for those of you who have confessed your sin and, and received that, that, that forgiveness for sins past, for sins present, for sins future, I, I just want to encourage you to live into that. Live into that, right? Even as, as Mary did, she was beautifully broken. She was faultlessly forgiven. And as a result, she was completely committed to Jesus completely committed. She was, sorry for the poker term again, she was all in. She was all in. She withheld nothing from Jesus. And even the, even the men who had lived with Jesus for the better part of three years didn't get it and, and harshly rebuked her for this action. But she was making a statement. She was making a statement. I'm in Jesus. And what could Jesus do with one woman today? One man today who said, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm busted. I'm broken. But I'm also forgiven. And Jesus, I'm all in. I'm committed to you. She was making a statement about herself, but, but she's also making a statement about Jesus. And don't miss this. Oftentimes in Scripture, when you have two parallel things like that, and you see a slight difference, what is that slight difference? The difference between the woman in Capernaum, possibly up to three years before, and, and Mary in Bethany, is that she didn't just anoint and wash his feet. She anointed his head as well. And, and she was making a statement. This is the anointed one. Do you know that term? Anointed one? It goes all the way back to, to where we'll be in a few weeks here in Exodus. When, when um, Moses set apart Aaron as the anointed one. The holy one. And said there will come one someday like me. Right? There will be this anointed one who, and the, the Hebrew word for anointed one is Messiah, who will save his people from their sins. How ironic is this? That this woman, I'm sorry, I don't want to sound misogynist here, this woman was the only one who ever, I, I, I search for that, help me if you find another situation Whoever anointed Jesus' head, right? How ironic is that? Not a priest, right? They were rejecting him. They were seeking to put him to death. Not even a prophet, right? The only prophet that had known Jesus personally right then was John the Baptist. And at some point, he wasn't sure. Are you, are you the coming one? Are you the anointed one? He sent a disciple to ask. 
No priest anointed Jesus. No prophet anointed Jesus. Not even Simon the leper in the, in the grace anointing of welcoming someone to his house anointed Jesus, right? But Mary did. What was she doing? Was she consciously setting apart Jesus for his ascension to the throne? Now, as King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords, right? If she was, she was stepping way out of bounds. In any case, Jesus gently interprets her actions differently. For those in the room, and I believe for, the, for us here today, she's done a beautiful thing. Literally a good work. Remember, Jesus had said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your beautiful, your beautiful works, right? Your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So she's, she's doing a beautiful thing. She's anointing my body for burial. You guys are missing this. But we're two days away from my crucifixion. Three days away from my crucifixion. And she gets it. She gets it. Will she be able to be there? No. But she's available right now, right? She, she is able right now to do something. I think Jesus says, with what she has, she serves, right? And she anoints his body for burial. You see, he's not a king who's going to ascend a worldly throne like they all expected, right? He's not a king who's going to crush his enemy through worldly means. He's not a political king. He's a spiritual one, right? She anoints a king who's going to die for her and for me and for you, right? He is the true anointed one of God precisely because he's going to die, right? He is the anointed one. And he would give his life as a ransom for many. And then, notice I didn't say for all, right? As a ransom for many, for all who would put their trust in him. For all those whom God had set apart for faith. He gave his life and she recognized that. She was making a statement about Jesus. He is the anointed one. He would give up his life as a ransom for many. And he... He alone is of supreme worth. Why would she give what would in my life be sixty thousand dollars? Why would she why would she give in one moment up sixty thousand of today's dollars because she had found a pearl of great price? Because she had found a hidden treasure that was much greater worth than anything that this life could offer. That's so beautiful. But Jesus, Jesus notes that whenever the gospel is preached, whenever the good news of the kingdom was preached, this story of this woman's faith would be told as well. How many of you recognize the name Judas? 
I'm being very careful when I say that. Not Judah. Judas, right? Um, we recognize it. Why? Because it's a, it's a, a name that has become uh, equated with unspeakable betrayal, right? But isn't it beautiful that, that with, with this name Judas, the parallel to this name of Judas is this name Mary, which literally meant bitterness, right? This name Mary that now forever will be associated with incredible beauty and sacrifice. I don't know why it is, but I'm always drawn to the terrible things, the story. I want to, I want to follow that axe murderer, right? I want to, I want to know what happened in that story. In my obsession with brokenness and even wickedness, I miss beautiful. I miss beauty. Um, This woman, Jesus said, her story should be told every time the gospel is told. Why? Because she got it. So let me ask you this. What statement are you making? Right? What statement are you making with your actions? Right? She didn't say anything, right? She did something and and it was interpreted for her. She didn't have to justify it. She didn't have to defend it. She did something that proclaimed the most powerful truth the world has ever known. That God has become flesh and has offered himself in our place so that we might be in relationship with God. What statement are your actions making? Do not, do not Hear judgment and condemnation. Hear invitation. Let's just gently leave it behind, right? Why? Because we found something so much better. We found something so much more beautiful. I jump with you now to the back half of our story because, well, again, this this is day press pause again here, but it, I'm, I'm astounded by the reality that something that I do could bless God, right? We, we sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul, all the time. We're going, yeah, right, yeah. I mean, this brokenness, this sinfulness is not going to bless God, right? And then he gives us these stories like this. We're now a broken person, yes, but a broken person who's found life does something that blesses God, right? That that blesses God. What am I drawing? What am I pointing to here? In in just two days, Jesus would be not far away, down the Mount of Olives in this valley at the base of it, this place, Kidron Valley, this little olive grove. We know of the olive grove of the of the press of the olive press, Gethsemane, and. And he would invite his disciples, right, to come with him. So the 12, the 11 now men, is that right? Yeah, the 11 men went with him and, and he left behind eight of them and said, you wait here, right? And went further with three of them, Peter, James, and John, and said, oh, my soul is in tremendous distress. Watch and pray. Would you watch and pray? And then he left them, right? So there's the eight, there's the three. He left them and and went further in there and fell down. We just returned to um, 
the Rice family, the, the sculpture that Gene Rice made of Jesus uh, on his knees praying before the Father. It's the same scene that's depicted in, in the stained glass window right at the back of our sanctuary. Jesus crying out to Father, Father, if there be any way. You know, all things are possible. Did you hear that in the scripture? Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. If there be any way, let this cup pass from my lips, right? Thinking of Janie right now, you know. About to, having to release her precious husband, you know. Is there, any, is there any way? All things are possible for you, right? Is there any way that this cup can pass from my lips? I know that you probably are experiencing a similar kind of thing. It just dawned on me that I'm sitting on the communion table. Forgive me. If there's any way, God, that this cup could pass from my lips, maybe so. Right? Help me. Nevertheless, not. Help me. My will, but yours, be done. Did God hear Jesus? He's prayed that three times, right? And in between, he'd go back to his disciples and they'd be asleep. He asked them watch, which means stay awake and pray, right? He went back to them three times and, and they were falling asleep. But, but three times he went back to the Father and said, if there's any way, let this cup pass from my lips. Nevertheless, not as my will, but yours be done. What are your actions saying about your understanding of who Jesus is? That'd be, that'd be enough for today, I think, but, but I want to just ask you, what are your words? What are your words saying, right? Jesus invited them to speak. He said, pray with me, right? And when he came back, and this is the, I shared with you several weeks ago, this is what absolutely convicted me. He came back and said, could you not just pray with me one hour? And he wasn't trying to make some magic thing out of praying for an hour. He was just trying to say, it's been an hour and you can't hang in there with me. My soul is in distress. And, and, and you, can't, you can't even speak words on my behalf to the Heavenly Father. What are your actions saying? What are your words saying, right? What statement are you making with your life? I want to. I want to just invite you to two today, and I do it with fear and trembling, because I know that anything I have to ask you to do, I have to do myself. Break me, God. Break my heart with the things that break your heart. And God, if like a mule, I stubbornly refuse to do what I know I need to do, then God, do whatever it takes. Because I know it's not just about me. I know that would be enough, God, if it was just about me. You love me that much. God, it's also about the people around me. It's about the generations, should you tarry, God, who come behind me. God, is it possible that you could sweetly Break me so that nothing would remain in me but a heart that lifted up the name of Jesus. A life that anointed Jesus as the Messiah. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you 
Thank you for Mary. And God, I just, I just thank you for the testament of her life, the courage to act, the courage to speak, the courage to live in such a way that people would see you. And Jesus, I thank you for reminding us to tell her story. Because it would be so easy, God, to think that, that, that you're so much more important that you don't care about the testimony of our lives. But clearly, clearly you do. So God, for those of us who staunchly refuse to surrender our lives to your Lordship, I pray, break us. Break us, Jesus. For those of us who, who staunchly, having, having committed our life to you, staunchly hold on to the things of this world, those, those alabaster flasks, those, those symbols of our own self-sufficiency and our own ability to provide for ourselves, break us, God, so that nothing would come between us and you. And God, I pray that that as we surrender to you, other people might see beautiful brokenness and be drawn to you as well. Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Jesus, Lord and Savior, you are worthy. You are of supreme worth to you and you alone be the glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If if your life could be summed up in one word, what would that word be? I speak without Enough prayer behind it. But I want that word to be Jesus. I want, if my word, my life had to be summarized in one word, I want that word to be Jesus. If it could be two words, I would want it to be Jesus, Messiah. Be glorified, Jesus, Messiah, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.